Should we lot. beat him up on air or afterwards? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Well, I don't know, he's quite a lot younger than us. Maybe, I think we could both, if we try, we could both take him, yeah. Coming up in this week's podcast, operators officially stop making any money and consider giving up, New Ericsson CEO has a month to prove himself, and Ray rants about smart-ass white goods. All this and more on A Week in Wireless. Hello and welcome to the second Week in Wireless of the new year. Uh, the first one having been the unruly free-for-all that you hopefully listened to recently. Uh, this is Scott Bicheno sitting in for Tim Skinner, who's off on holiday in the Middle East right now. And I've got with me Jamie Davis. Hello, Scott. And Ray Lemaitre. Hello, Scott. So uh, we'll just crack straight on. We're trying for a new sort of streamlined get-on-with-it model. So in the And that's <laughs> the all for today, that, folks. So thank you very much. <laughs> in the spirit of that, I'm going to get on with it. Um, I The story I've picked for us to lead with this week, quite appropriate, is we've got Ray, the editor-in-chief of Light Reading here, is a story I wrote up but was basically ripping off a light reading story, uh, which in itself was ripping off a bit of research. So there we are. There's a lot, a lot of... Citing research. Citing, yeah. sorry. That's a fine line, isn't it? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> um, where the research, in essence, said that we are coming to a sort of crunch point in the mobile industry whereby the cost No, of... in the whole of the telecoms industry. Right. Oh, yes, so of course, yes, fixed as well. I stand corrected. Where the cost of delivering a uh, byte of data um, is exceeding the amount of revenue that the operators can get from it, which is obviously a little bit alarming for those of us who <laughs> who, who count on the telecoms industry for a living and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, and so there are obviously all sorts of implications from that. Some of those sort of tangents uh, we'll go off on subsequently. But I'll start out by sort of throwing it over to Ray who obviously um, saw the story first and edited it. Um, Ray, what, what do you think of that story? Well, it's definitely a very thought-provoking article. Um, you know, it comes from research conducted by Tom Knoll, who's a very respected uh, sort of... Um, I wouldn't so much call him... A, I mean, he is an analyst, but he's... Uh, a sort of an industry figure, I would say, and he knows a lot of people. He does an annual survey of operators, and he asked them about this topic uh, this year. And the kind of the feedback suggested that 2017 would be the year when this um, uh, kind of the cusp uh, was hit, which obviously is a, a more than just a wake-up call for the industry because. Um, let's face it, at the end of the day, if a lot of these companies start to find themselves running loss-making businesses yeah. on too grand a scale, if their core businesses are loss-making, then they're going to go out of business. Yep. Or there's going to be massive uh, further consolidation, which impacts business further, et cetera, et cetera. This could be the start of the telecoms Jenga that does not end well. <laughs> well, that, that really is ominous. And, and obviously, you don't need to have a Donald Trump level of business acumen to see that running at a loss is unsustainable. Um, sorry, Jamie, you go on. Yeah, I mean, I, I partly see this as a good thing. And I think in a roundabout way... Do a you lot economics degree by any chance? <laughs> <Well, yeah. laughs> but I think partly, in a way, a lot of the telcos will look at this as a good thing as well because one, one of the things they've been trying to do for years is avoid the utilisation and the commoditization of, um, of, of, sort of 
data and sort of internet services. Now, this gives them a fully justified reason where they can stop the race to the bottom and actually start increasing prices again. You know, if you if we carry on doing this unlimited data, giving you as much as you want, you're going to put us out of business. Therefore, you're not going to have the internet. So you can just we can justify charging you a bit more now. Yeah, I mean that, that's, that's that gives them the justification. The, the uh, I can't fault that part of the logic. The, the bit I, I might question is whether or not the consumers are going to buy it. Yeah, if you yeah. See what I mean, but I mean ultimately, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I've said this so many times, and we're talking about. I mean, I know this is something you're going to lead on to afterwards, but you know the amount of data that people use. I just don't, I just don't get it. I look at my phone, and I'm, I'm, I'm connected to Wi-Fi all the time, and I use what like maybe four or five gig a month or something like that and then you got people if that, that i've got a four gig allowance i never get anywhere near it at the yeah. moment. i mean how how some of these people are reaching these sort of like 20 25 gig well i've limits, got, I've got I one answer in the form of my 12 year old son who, who's got a one gig allowance on his phone when i haven't confiscated it for other <laughs> crimes and misdemeanors <laughs> that i won't embarrass him by listing now um, well, let's normally... remember it's not all about mobile residential consumer usage. Well, yes, but, yeah, yeah. But, but, but also, I think you know, it's 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 very often maybe not an idea to take one's own usage and extrapolate that to the rest of the world. There's a lot of people um, um, who would use their mobile as their only access device, and then yeah. and be streaming all of their video well, quite, consumption. As I was going to say, over, in the case of my yeah. son, he'll be able to hoover up a gig or two in a couple of days of just YouTube frivolity. Yeah, but, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of this comes from enterprise as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so much more activity in terms of video, and not only is the are the hours of video going up, but, you know, it's becoming increasingly high-definition video, which takes out so much more capacity. There are so... I mean, we have kind of reached a, you know, that, that, that point where you've got a whole lot of different factors all coming together. You've got cloud, you've got video, you've got the greater use of um, many more devices, not just smartphones, uh, that are, are constantly using data, even when people aren't using it, yeah, they're yeah. eating up data. And essentially, it's, it's, it's reached a point where the, the, the network operators simply haven't been able to keep up because they are still running their networks using legacy technology. We might have been talking about virtualization for four mm. years, but there ain't much of it. Not in, there might be in data centers and in, yeah. ent- and in enterprise networks, but not in wide area communication networks yet. So that was that was one of the things that the that this uh, analyst, this industry figure that 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 came up with this um, data point uh, said is that you know this move to greater aut- automation and cloud and all that sort of thing. Is absolutely critical, and, the, and then the other one he spoke about was the need for the regulatory environment to allow operators to innovate a little bit more. Mm. Um, and, you know, and this is another thing I'll, I'll ask. Um, well, I'll ask Ray first to elaborate a bit more on the sort of virtualization side because I think that's interesting, and I know that's a real strength of light reading. But then I'll ask Jamie to talk about the um, regulatory side of things because, for certainly for as long as I've been doing this, there's been talk of these OTTs, these over the top providers, people like um, Google, Facebook, whoever, um, who are able to offer communication services on the top of the network but not be subject to the regulation that the actual providers of the network have. So I'll move on to that in a sec with you, Jamie. But you know, just one more sort of quick thought from you, Ray, on virtualization. Why, if it's so much in their interests, 
if it's so if it creates so much more efficiency um, so much more margin potential why why aren't we further down the line on all that because it's incredibly difficult to implement it's just really really hard you know everybody got excited about the idea and the and the whole idea of having um, software defined networks and virtual network functions and cloud architectures is still very exciting and is going to open up a whole load of new business opportunities but as we've seen you know the very large companies that talked about having a- aggressive virtualization timetables 3 years ago are still trying to get to stage mm. one a couple of years <laughs> Not after so they talk. Well, they, they've tried to be aggressive, yeah. but they've hit so many brick walls, and a lot of the brick walls just come down to the fact that the technology outside of a lab in a wide area network where you're having to mix new virtualized functions and new SDN tools with legacy networks, because yep. you know, nobody's got a greenfield network starting from scratch, it's just incredibly hard to do, and it's taking longer. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the main driver for this is, yes, there, there, there are new business opportunities and there's the early signs of this. The companies that have made progress in introducing uh, some of the virtualization into their, into their networks and starting to run services are finding that they can offer services that they hadn't even thought about or, and that their customers are saying, oh, now I can do this. And they go, holy crap, yes, you can. And we can <laughs> charge you for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a really good thing, but it's all about reducing the operating costs. And that's, yeah. that's where, you know, everybody got excited first of all about, oh, we can buy a white box server instead of a hunking great big bit of proprietary hardware. It's not really about that. It's about reducing the operating costs. So I think, you know, it's just a lit another fire under the industry to get a freaking move on. Right. Stop being political. Stop trying to tweak everything so it's still proprietary and you can make money out of it. Everybody needs to work together to make this work. Otherwise, everybody will go out of yeah, business. Yeah. And everything we, we see, we're constantly writing stories about how there are these sort of 5G partnerships and MOUs and, and entente cordiales. Well, how about getting this stuff in place first? Yeah, well, I think that's a, a lot of people have seen the, the light at the end of the tunnel and realised that they can't do it by themselves and everybody is, is trying to... There's now more collaboration than I've ever seen in the industry. Right. But, of course, you know... You know, somebody can sign an MOU uh, upstairs and then tell the rest of the people yes. to get on with it. And again, that ain't so easy because you've got the people fact and it's usually people that screw things up. <laughs> um, just, um, just on your first point, Ray, yeah. we were talking about why it, it's just so difficult to get there. Yeah. Um, I mean, for you, is that more over-promise from the vendor side or is it naivety from the actual operators themselves? Um, I think it's a bit of all of that. I think that, uh, you know, um, there were certainly uh, hopes and promises, and I think some of it was naivety. Um, but, you know, just taking, you know, a, a an existing sort of, you know, legacy, if you take, even that's a bit of a pejorative term, but that's a bit of legacy technology and, and having a software version of it does not make it a virtualized network yeah. function. Um, there's a lot of ground-up development that needs to be done uh, to develop what what's referred to as cloud-native technology and not just software versions of yeah, what used yeah. to be all in, in hardware. And and we're, we're still at the stage where people are banging their heads against the wall. The operators are saying, you're still to their suppliers, you're still not delivering what we need to build our efficient networks. We need cloud-native technology, mm-hmm. not a software version of that hardware box that you used to charge us a fortune for. 
And so, so Jamie, so on the and other side, can I just make a point yeah. that the thing virtualization is something that this industry can control. They, if everybody does pull together and and R and D is moved forward, this is something that this industry can control. And and the point there is that regulatory, everybody wants a a more favourable regulatory environment, but this industry can control virtualization in the pace. Yeah. They can hope for regulatory. Well, breaks. quite no, totally. So, uh, and it's a definitely good advice to worry about what you can control. But, but having said that, the bit you can't control did seem to take a potentially sort of benign turn for telecoms this week. Just quickly, Jamie, if you want to sort of summarise the the story you wrote about sort of Europe mucking around with with some of the regulation of comms. Yeah, so it was. I mean, more than anything else, it was bringing the OTTs and the operators onto a level level playing field. And I think that's the biggest win that you can that the telco industry has got out of it and it's partly what they were lobbying towards. It's not the fact that they want more freedom to do other sort of like value add businesses although that's a benefit that comes out of the techno, uh, the regulation as well. It's the fact that the OTTs have crippled their business by taking away the voice and sort of SMS communications, which is going to be lost forever now. They're never going to get that specific re- revenue back. Um, but it's they were held to different rules yeah. when it comes to the secondary services that these OTTs yeah. provide. So the sort of the data sharing, the uh, the the sort of like Facebook, for instance, sharing personal information with advertisers yeah. without asking for explicit opt-in uh, from the actual users themselves. Um, that has been sort of cut down by the regulators this yeah. week, or a draft yes. piece As of ever regulation. With Europe, you know, they'll have a meeting about a meeting, and yes. it'll happen in about 10 years' time. It, it'll happen and eventually. And then they'll need to go for dinner. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, but at the end, so these ideas have been put forwards to not only give the telcos a little bit more freedom in how they can monetize data, you're working with third parties, but the biggest win is bringing the o- making the OTTs more accountable, yeah. so they don't run riot and further cripple the telco business model on the whole. Indeed, um, and I think I think both sides of the pond, um, they're sort of starting to get that memo. And the ideal thing is to tweak things such that you don't punish OTTs for just being quite dynamic, no, quite ambitious organisations, but. You do accept that if everyone's offering roughly the same thing, which is a communication service, I mean, then sense, they should all be subject to similar rules. I mean, this is, I mean, the the entry of the OTTs like Facebook and WhatsApp, I think that is, is probably, I mean, it's a massive pain point for the industry, but it's one of the best things that could have happened. It's forced the, the telcos who have relied on this cash cow of voice and SMS for so long to innovate and mm-hmm. get new services so they can actually replace this revenue the That's OTTs sort of, are stolen just, off them. Just what they're really bad at. Yeah, <laughs> just what they're really bad That's at. That's an enduring theme of yours this week, Jamie, is uh, really bad things being good because they yeah. force them to get their act together. <laughs> but it I'm not sure they necessarily see it that way. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, but I mean, ultimately, I think we as we as consumers will benefit of the uh, so much more than just free services because yeah. this little saga happens and we wouldn't we wouldn't be where we are now and the next 5 years wouldn't look as rosy for us as consumers if this huge disruption didn't come in place and yeah. sort of really shake up the industry. No, these things from the consumer are all good but but as um you know as people who uh, write about the telecoms industry we yeah, we don't want it to be too easy for the operators. They've certainly made plenty of profit over the years. 
but it, it's certainly got to be in their interest to keep trying to innovate and keep trying to do good things for the consumer. Oh, 100%. So hopefully those are all positive things. Well, before we're going to, we're leading up to a break, I'm just going to have a look at, just list one or two other stories we wrote this week, which I think loosely contribute to this overall topic. Um, one I wrote up uh, yesterday was um, Airtel, Bharti Airtel in, in India. It's launched this thing called a payments bank, um, which is, you can't borrow from it, but it's a way... In the Indian government's really into digitizing its economy, which is an incredibly ambitious thing to do because the, India's massive economy, certainly in terms of population, is almost entirely cash-based. Um, and they just sort of sat down and went, right, we're not going to use cash anymore. And then November, they decided to scrap something like 85% of all the notes. They decided to make no, no longer legal tender. So you can imagine the utter panic that happened on the streets of India. But somehow they've sort of bluffed their way through that rather sort of crude initiative. And this payments bank by Bharti Airtel, which seems to be quite heavily sort of supported by the government, is a way of trying to get everyone to do all their commerce digitally rather than through cash. Uh, and, and obviously Bharti Airtel being, being the, the number one operator in that country is, is an intrinsic part of it. So that, that's an example. I don't think it's necessarily illustrative of, of the earlier points, but that is an example of areas in which... Um, operators are looking to diversify and get revenue and get business from from sort of non-traditional areas. Is that how you see it, Ray? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that is an area, I mean, one of the few areas of innovation uh, that we, we truly have seen from, from the you know, telecom industry has been around mobile finance. I mean, M-Pesa yep. in, uh, in, in Kenya was a, a, a great starting point. And there is a lot of great work being done on, on these kind of uh, platforms, uh, you know, uh, whether it be uh, mobile health or mobile finance, uh, mobile education, etc. Um, the, the, the two key things underpinning all of this where a lot more work uh, can be done um, by all everybody involved is around the analytics that's required to to make sense of all this and make it all uh, uh, work uh, correctly and in a seamless way um, and security. Yeah, that's still the elephant in the room, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to the OTTs, I mean, there was that story this afternoon from uh, from the Guardian that they yeah. managed to hack into. WhatsApp. To WhatsApp, so end-to-end encryption is no longer no longer as safe as it appears on that platform. Anyway, so yeah, like you said, security—it's a big, it's a big rhetoric, it's a big USP, and it looks like it's going to be absolutely shot down in that in that particular well, scenario. And that's going to be quite relevant to uh, what we speak about after the break, because among other things, we're going to be talking about things like autonomous cars and AI and robotics. And then security starts to get really interesting. So, uh, so we'll, we'll <laughs> on that note, we'll have a little break there and uh, join us straight after for that. Of course, everything we talk about on A Week in Wireless is just the start. So why don't you go over to telecoms.com where you'll see a lot of news written by me, your host, Tim Skinner. And if you actually want to see the real news, talk about the clouds, where the future's actually going... Have a look at the stuff by Jamie Davis. No, you're both wrong. I'm the boss. Shut up or I'll sack you. Hello and welcome back to part two of this Week in Wireless podcast. Now, one thing we haven't really spoken about on the podcast so far this year is CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, which is the traditional start to the technology year over in Vegas. 
I can't say I miss actually being there. As it's it's rather weird being somewhere like Vegas, but for a trade show. You know, go to by all means go to somewhere like I don't know the Excel Center for a trade show, or go to Vegas for a stag trip, and get get <laughs> get, get off your nuts for a week. But it's weird combining the two. Anyway, um, for me, the there were sort of two or three main uh, themes that came from it. Uh, autonomous cars, while they've been around for a little while, smart cars, connected cars, autonomous cars seem to be very prominent. Um, NVIDIA, which for some reason has seen its share price go up about five times in the last year, which I hadn't been keeping track of it, and that was a surprise, went quite strong producing these special little, what effectively are graphics cards for cars, for running that sort of thing. Um, Another thing that was really big, Amazon was a big winner from CES, specifically through its Alexa sort of voice-driven Siri-like thing, but they've they're introducing that more into the living room. They've got these echo devices, these speakers that you just stand up in your living room, and every now and then you go, Alexa, do something clever, and, and Alexa presumably does or, or completely misinterprets it and turn out the lights. I don't know. I haven't used one. But what I took from that wasn't just that Amazon was doing quite well in an area that I would normally think maybe people like Apple and Google and and those sorts of companies would you'd expect to come to the fore, but it was an illustration of how the voice UI era is very much underway. So, you know, here we are. While I'm talking, I'm, I'm being flattered by both Jamie and Ray, who are messing around on their phones via a touch <laughs> UI, making me feel like I'm the most interesting guy around. But I bring the point not to tell them off, but because there they were touching their phones. That's the, We're in the touch UI era, and this is what we all do. We're all used to touching screens, and prior to that, we would all be used to using keyboards and mice. But I think we're moving to the voice UI era because there are certain things. For example, the living room environment is just the start, but especially the car environment, it obviously doesn't lend itself to touch screens. I think it's Jamie. You, you've been sort of bandying around a stat for a little while that, that accidents are going up, even though yeah. people aren't allowed to use their phones in cars because they're getting so distracted by their infotainment systems. Well, I think yeah, there was some research in the states that showed um, as as texting and mobile uh, became more common, obviously incidents on the road were yeah. accelerating at a ridiculous rate and then texting got banned so it dropped down dramatically and it's just been steadily steadily increasing again as the informatic system becomes more and more complicated that you have to spend yeah. more and more time trying to either change a radio exactly. station dial your dial call yeah. home or and meanwhile you're sitting there staring at this screen and not the road yeah. so so the obvious thing the obvious solution to that is voice UI. Yeah. But for me, the and, and that's fine, that's all a given. And you know, for people as old as me, we start thinking of things like Knight Rider, which I watched when I was a kid, which is sort of early, sort of voice UI driven car. Um, but what is standing in the way of it is that the voice UI, neither the voice UI nor the artificial intelligence that underpins it is, in my opinion, still good enough. So you should be able to have a completely intuitive conversation with a computer, creepy though that is, and just go, you know, all right, car, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head into central London today and I might to get some petrol on the way and I'm feeling a bit peckish or something like that. And then the car will just suddenly make a bunch of really cool, smart decisions. And when that happens and you don't have to interact physically with any keyboards or anything like that, then I think, um, you know, we, we could be, the voice UI could be the sort of defining um, technological underlying technological trend of the next sort of decade. 
But I mean, part of that is, I mean, everything that's underpins there is, I mean, artificial intelligence drives all of that. And yeah. part of the reason that it's not taken off or it's not advancing uh, as fast as we want it to is our own fault. We're not using it. I mean, I, right. I, I've said this a few times, like, you know, on your Facebook feed, you have those recommended articles. Um, like, yes. how often do you actually click through on those articles? I do occasionally, and they, they're becoming more relevant to me. It's the machine learning components of any artificial in, uh, intelligence system. Unless you actually use it, it's not going to get any better. There's only so much a, a software engineer can write into an algorithm. If you want it to be truly personalized to you, you got to carry on. You've got to actually use it. But isn't the ideal that, that it becomes, and this isn't necessarily ideal in other senses, but it becomes so um, interwoven in what you do that you haven't got to deliberately click on, on links. It just is tracking everything you do and is learning accordingly. I mean, that's, that's what it gets up to. And there are obviously problems with being tracked all the time. But that's where the machine learning would accelerate, is if it was taking account of absolutely everything you did and and it and but you still have to enable the algorithm but you still have to enable it to start with like how often do you have your location data switched on all the time i know it's a real drain on battery and it's a drain on data but how often do you yeah, I probably do do you have your work emails hooked up to your personal phone uh, no, I look so, at them through a browser. So your work emails aren't interacting with yeah. your personal life and your work calendar isn't interacting yeah. so with your So I think what, what we're getting so. to here is, is where that cutoff point is between feeding their machine learning and completely surrendering your sort of privacy. But then you have, but that's part of that's that goes in hand in hand with mm. machine learning. Unless you surrender every part of your life, it's it's still going to be generic because you've got a software engineer guessing what you want as opposed to you giving all the information across and saying this is who I am. So Ray, do you agree then that, <laughs> that we should ju you should just basically hand yourself over to these machine learning algorithms so they can get smarter? For those who want to do that? Yes. Sure. Do you? Not particularly. No. <laughs> and then do you do you feel that whatever benefits these sort of enhanced AI might offer is not enough to compensate you for, for what you'd have to give up? I look at AI and machine learning as something more that can benefit society and enterprise rather than individuals. Right. Um, I think there's it can be put to a lot of good use to try and figure out some of the major problems we have in the world, like food security, for example, and population control, rather than whether... I'd rather watch yes. Chelsea <laughs> or Brentford. The answer there is Brentford, by the way, for any machine okay. learning uh, algorithms <laughs> that might be listening in. Um, but I think uh, I, I think the you know that I think we need to that the whole debate about machine learning and AI I think needs to be obviously it's CES it's consumer yeah. electronics. I think the focus of development and where the real a lot of the real opportunities, but maybe not the financial opportunities, lie is outside of the individual personal. A bit like consumer. with um, IoT, where a lot of the. And I'm going to ask you this because I know yeah. one of your. They actually had this product at this year's CES, and I know Ray that one of your favourite products in the world is the IoT fridge, um, which is actually talk been to me about the connected. <laughs> 
Game for Age, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which has actually been around for like 15 years as a concept, and it still keeps coming back. And the reason, you know, the reason it's such a cliche, and the reason Ray's so jaded about it, is because it's, it's been emblematic of IoT for all that time, Internet of Things. For those and who... people in our industry still use it in presentations. Yeah, yeah. Stop. And uh, and the thing it's is, just, and I, it's and just I agree. so easy to do, though, isn't it? <laughs> You yeah, know, you're and running low on milk. I'll call Tesco's <laughs> for you. Don't worry. Yeah, because talk about first world problems. All the other <laughs> things you've got going on, and as Ray's talking about, all the more sort of macro stuff that the AI and IoT and all that sort of thing can do. No, what we really want to do is to not have the hassle of checking to see whether we're running out of milk or not before some more just arrives on our doorstep, like the good old days. To be honest, I I went to make a cup of tea this morning. I did. I have run out of milk, so you know, oh. it would have made my life a bit easier this morning. It would. Well, and and of course, the serious point about should we a lot... beat him up on air or what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. He's quite a lot younger than us. Maybe I think we could both if we try. We could both take him. Yeah. Um, these these first world problems. I mean, they're always quite cool, but to me, it always comes down to what you're willing to pay for them. Yes, it would be quite handy if a machine did all my shopping for me, provided it got it right. Um, but how much am I willing to pay to get rid of the hassle of doing the shopping myself? So that's what those come down to. But yeah, I'm with you, Ray. I um, uh, AI and artificial and machine learning and that sort of thing, in common with IoT, is probably going to have its real practical commercial significance in a more enterprise B2B or, or public sector or sort of macro yeah, context. I agree with you. I mean, 90% of the benefits of something like IoT we're not going to see. It's going to be something daft like, oh, but it's not daft, but the, like the industrial IoT or... Yeah, just, like check just not it, very sexy. Yeah, like forecasting the number of the number of ice cream cones that needs to go to to your distribution centre in Britain. Just really stupid well, I heard about a great like example that. this week about a farmer who's going to save 90% on the cost of pesticides over a year from knowing exactly where in his fields he needs to spray rather than spraying everything. All of it. Oh, okay. It improves the quality of the product and it cuts his costs and a high level of cost by 90%. So there's a device that and tells him where the bugs are? Uh, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not too sure exactly right. what the 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 the, the IoT uh, modules are doing, uh, but it's um, that was a mm. pra- practical example I just saw, just and sort of read the high level benefits, but that's pretty astonishing, 90%. really. Yeah, um, you know, and those kind of things I think are going to make a great difference to a lot of people. Yeah, so ultimately, a bit like our sort of chat about um, cloud and virtualization earlier, a lot of the benefits come down to efficiency rather than the sort of utopian first world problem solving stuff. Yes. Let's move into that sort of like a proactive. Well, I know that's slightly different, but I mean, another I- example that I, I saw was um, I can't remember what the name of the company is, but it's Belgium's version of John Deere, essentially. And they, right. they rent out equipment to. Uh, various agri- uh, various farmers and all that sort of thing, and one of the big one of the the ways they're losing a lot of money is that a farmer reports a loss, uh, a, a piece of equipment has been broken, so that thing's out of action for seven days before it goes back to him. Whereas in the yeah. IoT model, the the sensors inside the equipment no, predict it's about to get that it's about to be knackered, so you go fix it before it's. Uh, before it's broken, yeah. and then you get 365 days usage out of it. So again, efficiency and that sort of thing. Yeah. In the name of efficiency, I'm going to start to wrap things up because <laughs> we're, we're being very time-disciplined right now. 
not least because Ray's got something to do in about ten minutes. Um, and I'm gonna, <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a good host and give Ray the last shout. Um, today marks a day where the new CEO of Ericsson finally comes on board. So last summer, Hans Vestberg, they sort of went to him, yeah, cheers, Hans, but it's not happening, is it, mate? See you later. <laughs> Um, and they got in a guy, and I, 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 went, uh, I went to anticipate what Ray's going to say too much. In fact, I can't remember his name, but they got in a guy who had been the sort of CEO of their largest institutional investor, and now he's the CEO of Ericsson himself. So over to you, Ray. Tell us a bit more about that. Well, um, like you say, today is uh, day one for, uh, and I'm, I know I'm going to murder his name here, <laughs> but it's... Uh, At least you're giving I it th- a go. <laughs> I think it's uh, Boya Ekholm. Anyway, it's Mr. Eckholm. That'll do. (laughs) He's taking the hot seat at Ericsson, and what a time, what a year to be taking that particular job. 2016, not only did uh, Ericsson lose its CEO, who'd been there for a very long time and been instrumental and a great architect of how Ericsson had changed in the previous 10 years, but the company also had a pretty disastrous year in terms of its share price performance and posted its first quarterly net loss for four years and just came under an awful lot of pressure. So this guy is coming in and, um, you know, there's an awful lot. Huawei, uh, one of the main competitors, is still growing like wildfire. Um, There's, uh, you know, virtualization is still yet to happen and Ericsson has been investing in that for a while. It's done a lot of M&A over the past years and there's a lot of questions all that money they spent on telecom software and on video and TV assets were those really great investments this guy needs to come in and I think in the first two months he needs to put a lot of minds at rest about how he's going to take Ericsson forward and how you know in in business a lot is about perception. Yep. You know, a lot of people will be persuading in 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 the Donald Trump like way. People are saying that mm-hmm. Ericsson is in trouble now. Yeah, it's it's obviously having a tough time. How much it's in trouble? I think he needs to come out and lay everything on the line. Be very quick in making his management changes because every new CEO does shake up the management. Do it quickly. Be swift. Yeah. Um, you know, uncertainty is going to cause a greater unrest. And he needs to go to MWC at the end of February yep. and give some kind of kick-ass performance. Indeed. And if he goes there as a damp squib, yeah. I think they're going to get crucified. One question I want to ask, and this, this is definitely for you guys because it's more your subject areas than it is mine. Um, on the Ericsson note... Are they are they primed to be acquired by anyone in the near future? Do you reckon? Well, I'll, I speculated in my sort of 2017 predictions. Okay, I speculated that they would, mainly based on, and I don't have any sort of strong inside information, so I stress I speculated, um, mainly because this new guy Eckholm was it, um, you know, was was and and presumably still is a representative of Ericsson's biggest shareholder. So presumably he's got an even bigger incentive to do something positive about the Ericsson share price than everyone else would, who you know, who obviously gets paid according to it and has stock options and that sort of thing. And it may well be that the he's already made up his mind and had a look and thought, look, if we can, you know, our market cap's about twenty billion at the moment. If we can get thirty billion uh, on the market, then maybe that's the best outcome that shareholders can reasonably expect in the next sort of few years. But you know. 
that's a massively simplistic way of looking at it. And I'd like to believe he's come in wanting to invest in it and make, you know, and think about five or ten years' time. But I, yeah. I don't think it's inconceivable that he might go for a quick win. What do you think, Ray? I think there's probably too much riding uh, on the Swedish economy for Ericsson to potentially be acquired and split up. Right. And, and Why would be not, too much of a drain on Sweden? I think it would. I think there'd be too much pressure for that not to happen. But money always wins. Mm. If somebody comes in and offers the right kind of price, it'll happen. Yeah. Everybody is for sale. I'm Indeed. for sale. <laughs> I know, Ray, and you're very good value as well. I'm incredibly cheap. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, let's not rule it out. I would say, I would, I would say that, I, I mean, I wouldn't like to see that happen because I don't think that would be good for the industry, for staff, for customers, for for anything. But uh, I would no, definitely not rule it out. And one other thing I wanted to ask you, Ray, you were saying that you, this, this new guy needs to come in and make a really strong strong statement, um, sharpish, certainly, yep. you know, by Mobile Congress, which is less than two months from now. What, you know, as a... <laughs> six, six weeks. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's, six yeah. weeks. It feels like two Five hours, the way or... my phone's been ringing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so, you know, we're both uh, editors of Telecom's news sites. I've got my own ideas. But, you know, what is there anything specific he could say that would move you to sort of write a this guy looks like he's made of the right stuff type of thing. I don't think it's uh, my. I don't think it's what it's what he would say. I think it it needs to be actions followed up by some very clear, uh, just just clarity. Sorry, clarity yeah. and charisma. Right. Um, you know, he might have some great ideas, but if he goes to, Mo- I mean, Mobile World Congress is such a great an open and public stage now for this yeah. industry. A lot of people will need to be impressed, customers, partners, investors. Mm. You know, Vestberg was a very good frontman yeah. for Ericsson. And this new guy needs to be as well. But he needs to be bringing a lot with him as well. You know, there's a lot of people asking how the Cisco-Ericsson yes. relationship, what we call Ciscoson, you know, <laughs> that... You know, a lot of questions. Has that worked? Has that caused more damage yeah, than yeah. it's delivered? There's not no a lot positives. of evidence. You know, I wrote a somewhat snarky piece about a week ago, where about one of the first announcements since they first started talking about their partnership um, was made, and it, it was some, something relatively small. And I equated it to them trying to save their marriage by having a baby and producing this this evolved Wi-Fi or whatever it was. Um, and what what really prompted that, other than the underlying desire to take the piss whenever I can, was that it struck me as being the first bit of news we'd had from that whole partnership for ages. So we need to see a bit more going on there, I think. Uh, and I think we will very soon. Right. Cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, so um, on that note, I'm going to stick with my own sort of promise of time discipline and wrap it up there. So I hope you joined that, everyone. Join us next week for the next podcast. Thanks very much indeed for joining us on another episode of A Week in Wireless. Join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag AWIW. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, same people, but even better. 